You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, this is a time of year that uh, we all look forward to. That is the celebration of the incarnate Christ. God who came here in the flesh, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless, perfect life and suffered and died and rose again from the dead. He did that so that all those who believe in Him may have forgiveness of sin and eternal life with Him. Also this time of year, we uh, look forward to the new year. Sometimes uh, we go to the extent of making resolutions. Now, for those of you that were in the Sunday school class, Jim gave some of the 70 resolutions that Jonathan Edwards had made. Now, you'll be able to find that, I believe, on the website. I think somewhere on there that Jim has that. Where's Jim? You're going to have that on the website. So, I would encourage all of you to... Look through those. Sometimes we just make resolutions like, I think I'm going to try to get more organized. Clean some drawers out. Clean the garage. In my case, the shop. I haven't had it clean since the Jensen's came over last time and helped me with that. That's been three years. Um, they did a, such a fantastic job. Oftentimes, we will consider dietary practices, a more healthy lifestyle, maybe a healthier diet, some exercise. And these are all good things. In fact, as we consider those things, uh, some of them are included in the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. And resolution number 20, he said, I resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. And then in verse or 28 resolution, he says this. I resolve to study the scripture so steadily, constantly and frequently as that I might find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Then another one that he had was uh, I resolve in narrations never to speak anything but pure and simple variety. Now, these are noble resolutions that he has, and I encourage you to look at some of those. As we consider those, perhaps one of the things we might consider this as we approach this new year is how we live our Christian life. And if you would, I'd like you to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. We're going to look at a text there and... I want to try to perhaps give us a little overview of what that means, but also how it applies to us in our lives. I'll just read uh, now the New American Standard, starting with verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from you or from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. 
for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left or turn your foot from evil. Now, of course, as we consider those uh, writings of Proverbs, we have to understand that this is not only Old Testament teaching, but it's also applicational testing, teaching for us as New Testament believers. Your heart is like a reservoir. And what comes out of it will determine the character and the quality of your spiritual life. If your heart is defiled, it will have consequences in your behavior, your speech, your attitude. Every area of your life is going to be affected by your heart. The heart is the wellspring of life. Now, when we speak about heart in Scripture, it's speaking about our thought life. Many have made distinctions between heart and mind that Scripture really doesn't do. So when we consider the heart, it is the essence of our seed of thought life. It puts the very seed of our thoughts in our minds and heart is what he's speaking about here. Now, a good parallel text that explains our heart is what the Lord gave us in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. He said, what comes out of a man, that is what defiles a man. For for within Within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So as we consider this text of guarding our hearts, we have to understand that's the seed of every sin. That's where it starts. So as we look at this text, the King James reads it uh, like this. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The NIV, I like this as well. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. <clears throat> Matthew 7:18 says this. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. It is... Absolutely essential what we do with our thoughts. That is where everything emanates from our thoughts, our behavior, everything, our speech. I want to focus on some of the practical doctrinal implications of this text and the surrounding context. So if you're going to take notes, um, I guess I'll have four points. One is the duty of guarding our heart from this text. The other one is the diligence of guarding our heart, the difficulty of guarding our heart, and the desire of guarding our heart. Now, the duty of guarding our heart. This is not just something that uh, 
Solomon suggested. This is an essence of a command, an imperative. It's a duty and a responsibility of every believer. Actually, this is the chief duty duty of every believer. Uh, as we consider the first statement of the Westminster Catechism, what is the ultimate goal of man? It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what we're here for as His children. We're to glorify God with everything we do. Now, <clears throat> we have to also recognize as we look at this text in Proverbs 4, guarding our hearts is not a simple thing. Our hearts, our minds are being barraged daily by all kinds of attacks. And it doesn't take much to cause us to focus wrongly. However, God made us to honor and glorify Him in all that we do. So the primary focus here is to bring glory to God. Hebrews says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We have to understand it's not just an easy process to keep everything in check with our thoughts. Jesus taught that the sinful thoughts are the source and the fountain of all evil that defiles us. You're defiled by sin. <clears throat> that rubs off from the outside. You're not. Think of Christ when He was here on earth. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He lived amongst sinners. But He had no sin from within. So, as a result of living amongst sinners, He was not defiled by that. He lived a perfect, perfect, sinless life. <clears throat> As we think of this uh, concept in light of the New Testament, you don't have to turn there, but I would uh, ask you to consider writing this text down. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That doesn't really focus on our external deeds. That doesn't focus on that at all. What that's focusing on is where that is manifested. It's in our hearts, our minds. That's what Paul was talking about. Again, another text uh, referring back to Christ. What comes out of the man is what defiles him. When he gave that text, the Pharisees were accusing the disciples of eating with unclean hands. And our Lord addressed them and reproved them and rebuked them. For it's out of the heart of men that proceed evil thoughts and all these things of list that he has. All these things come from within that defile a man. <clears throat> so we think of the duty of guarding our heart as a command. It's warfare. It's spiritual warfare. We deal with it moment by moment. So what about the diligence of guarding your heart? Uh, when I was in the military, part of our basic training was we would do infantry training, then we'd have orientation, we'd have classes, we'd be going all day. And our physical demands in boot camp are rigorous. But then at night, they would put us on guard duty to get us used to having rigorous 
physical activity all day and then being able to stay awake at night. Some of the men took that rather casually. But when you stand on guard duty, we, at this, for the practice, they would have us guard what they referred to as an ammo dump. Now, an ammo dump is a big concrete bunker that they store ammunition in. First of all, nobody could get on the base. They've got guards all around the base. They've got the whole thing fenced. And even if they did, they couldn't get in that bunker. But we were there practicing guard duty. Some of the men... If they had the 12 to 4, that was the most difficult one, it seemed like, because you'd finish up your duties in the evening, you'd have taps at uh, 10 o'clock, and then you're up again at 11 to get ready for guard duty. What they had was a roving officer, and that officer was called the OD or the officer of the day. He would go around and he'd check the various posts. Oftentimes, the men would get really tired. And if you were caught sleeping on post, that was a pretty serious offense. Not so much in boot camp, but uh, as I get into later, it's a very serious offense, especially in combat. Because if you're not guarding and staying alert, you could cost the lives of many men. So oftentimes the recruits would uh, put an ammo can, which is maybe a 50 caliber, and they'd set it next to the bunker so that they could rest. And they would sit down and they would prop themselves against the bunker like this. So if the OD came and they were asleep, some of the reaction would be like this. I hear something in there. They'd wake up and say that to the OD so they wouldn't get reprimanded. Another one was like this. You're you're sitting there and the OD's there and you're sound asleep and the OD says, Private, you go, amen, and you stand up. Sorry, sir. Well, we take that as pretty humorous, and it was. But as we consider the seriousness of guarding our hearts, we can't be that flippant about sin. We have to understand, uh, we can't trifle with sin. God doesn't want us to trifle with sin. We have to understand how important it is to start right here. Guarding our hearts. Taking captive those thoughts. Now, what is the first thing that um, we have to consider when guarding our hearts? First thing is that we have to be a Christian. We don't have the ability or desire or power to do anything if we're not believers. So the first thing, of course, would be that we are Believers, that we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. The carnal mind, as Paul refers to it in Romans 8, he says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are of the flesh cannot please God. He's not talking about a carnal Christian. here. He's talking about people who are in the flesh. Those are unbelievers. So, We have to have that understanding that in order to fulfill God's commands and His uh, Word, we need to be believers. And not only be believers, but be in constant uh, communication with God, confessing our sins on a regular basis. Now, 
with Christ's transforming work, we're indwelt with God's Holy Spirit. Thus, we have the power of God to obey God. There's nothing that God gives us, commands us to do that we cannot do. Nothing. Anything that God commands us to do, He also gives us the power and ability to perform. So we have to get that understood right away. You might think, well, now we look at this and this could be um, a form of legalism. I'm going to go down these lists here and show you the different things. If you're thinking that way, might I suggest that you're probably not doing a good job guarding your heart? These are commands from God's Word. We can only do them by His power and grace. So as we think about what the Bible teaches, we know we have to be regenerate. Um, All through Proverbs, Christ uh, manifests Himself in, personifies Himself, I should say, as wisdom. Proverbs 23, 26 says this, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says this, But of him you are in Christ who became wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have to devote ourselves to Christ to be able to impart, to receive that wisdom. Now, think about this for a moment. Oftentimes, uh, in fact, every time that we partake of communion, Jim will always take time to explain that those who aren't believers should not partake of communion. Those who are not confessed, have unconfessed sin, should not partake of communion. There's warnings about that. So, we always have a time of prayer, self introspection, and going before the Lord. Now, it may be easy for us to guard our hearts in those conditions. We come here, we hear the Word of God, we look good, sound good, but are we doing that on a daily basis? Is it just Sunday that we come here and put on a good heart? Have our thoughts where they should be? Jim once said, in fact, it was a couple of weeks ago, when talking about a thought life, if we were to project up on the screen, the overhead, our thoughts individually, would you be embarrassed? Everybody, you don't have to raise your hands. That's okay. We would be embarrassed. But think about this. God says, I know the heart. We should tremble at that thought. Not just being flushed if our thoughts were projected on a screen before people, but we stand before a holy God who knows our hearts and intentions. So we should have that as an incentive as well to guard our hearts. Practical step uh, in mortifying our thoughts, which Paul says, put to death your members, is a reoccurring theme throughout the New Testament. Actually, Paul did it again in Romans. He says this, For if you're living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Paul is saying that we need to put to death those sinful thoughts. Now, 
we have to understand when he says put to death, that means we have to be ruthless. Choke them out. Choke the life. Don't even give those sinful thoughts a chance. If you're not doing that on a regular basis, what you're doing is giving place to those sinful thoughts. Which, by the way, take root. That's where it starts. <clears throat> so Paul's admonishing the believers to not to live according to the flesh, according to the Spirit. In Galatians, he said this, Those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, perhaps we haven't done that perfectly, but crucifixion is a slow death. And if we're not starting by taking captive our thoughts, and we're not starting by guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we're not going to do a very good job of living the Christian life. If we're just coming here once a week, and then all during the week we're getting barraged with all kinds of things from the world, from our minds, from the enemy, then we're going to leave, uh, live a fairly uh, weak Christian life. We won't have the strength to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy. <clears throat> but if believers are truly serious about this, they crucify the lust and its affections. Sin is a, <clears throat> and our thought life is a fierce enemy. Don't toy with it. Don't think of it as something, well, I can, tantal, I can think about this or give thoughts of that. You can't. Whenever you see or uh, think about something that's going to take you away from holiness, you need to choke that out. You have the ability, because God wouldn't command it if we could. So we have to take control of our thought life. Uh, that comes from a love of Christ. Why would Christ say something like this? He who loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's talking about him being preeminent in our lives. Christ should be preeminent in everything that we do in life. He should be first in our lives. Everything else will emanate out of that when we have Christ first in our lives. <clears throat> when Jesus said that all that defiles you come from your heart, he was saying that every sin and every trouble that we experience comes from our thoughts or minds. You mortify your members. You take control of your thoughts. You choke them out when there's sin. Now, a third practical step is this. Uh, we have to put restraints on our heart. That is, get rid of evil influences. We may uh, read novels or watch movies, and it may fill our mind with wrong thoughts. That isn't to say that every novel, if it's secular, is bad. That's not what I'm saying. Or that music, if it isn't uh, Christian music, is bad. But there is some that is bad and detrimental to your mind. And we have to be able to discern that and abstain from it and avoid it. <clears throat> be careful what you expose yourself to. Um, in verse 20, it says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So here's, here's a practical step-by-step. Step. One thing we should be doing is filling our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. 
it doesn't happen just by, you know, spending 90% of our time in the world and feeding off entertainment and then trying to do a quick 10-minute devotional. Our minds aren't transformed that way. We should have a desire to know God, to love Him, to know more of Him through His Word. That's where our mind gets renewed. When Paul addressed the Romans, he said, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to give yourself as a living, your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is perfect, perfect, uh, I have to read it, sorry. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That transforming comes from the word of God. That transformation comes as we obey his word. And as we think about what God has commanded us to do in Proverbs 4, then we guard our hearts. We guard our minds. We're careful to do that. He goes on to say um, in verse 20, Give attention to my words. So we guard our ears. We're careful what fills your ears. Some of that which is considered entertainment today in our society, has all the elements that feed our flesh. That's what it's geared toward. It just wants to feed our flesh. The focus on verse 20 is the focus that we should be hearing God's Word and reading God's Word. There's so many things that fill our minds as we go through our daily lives. And if we don't have the proper focus those things will gradually fill our minds and start pulling us away from the Lord. Proverbs 4.20 directs us to incline our ears towards God's Word. We can fill our minds with the world, the things that the world spews out, and then we'll never have any transformation of our mind. Another thing that the, uh, the writer of this proverb says is to guard your eyes. Verses 21 and 25. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. We ought to be able to keep our heart. We need to be able to watch what, be careful of what we watch. Jesus said that the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be good. If your eye is evil, your whole body will be dark. Our culture that we live in bombards us with images uh, through entertainment or books or magazines that appeal to the lust of the eyes. We have to realize that. We have to guard our eyes. If you don't know when to turn away and refuse to watch something, then again, you're probably not doing a good job of guarding your hearts. Guard our conscience. Well, let me back up. 
The psalmist David said this, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And then in Psalm 119, verse 7, it says, I turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. We can use that and understand that to avoid looking at something that would cause us to lust. The next thing is to guard your conscience. Now, verses 21 and 22, uh, don't let God's word be silenced. Guard your tongue. Paul put away from you a deceitful mouth. One of the ways we can mortify sin in our heart is to control its expression through our lips. Actually, James said, if any man offend not in word, the same is perfect and able to bridle the whole body. If we can control what we say, we can control our minds. So James says we can control the whole body. Isn't that interesting? Maybe that would be a, a worthy revolu- uh, resolution. In fact, that's one of them that uh, Jonathan Edwards spoke of, is what we speak. We have to understand our words mean something. And we, if we're not careful with what we say, we can bring offense, we can cause slander, we can cause a brother or sister to stumble. So our words have to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Guard your feet. Verses 26 and 27. Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. In other words, stay away from temptations that assault you. That's simple wisdom. Uh, If we're praying the Lord's Prayer and ask the Lord to deliver us from evil and then go somewhere where we know we're going to be tempted, Might as well not even pray. If we're indulging in something that's going to bring us temptation and we know it, then we need to avoid it at all costs. Psalm 1 says, Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Does this sound too legalistic to you? Then perhaps you're not guarding your heart. I know the next thing that we have here is the difficulty of guarding our heart. We have to understand that um, guarding our heart, we have emotions which God gave us. Now, emotions are good if they're under the control of our minds rather than vice versa. Scripture condemns thinking with our emotions. James considers it earthly, natural, and demonic in James 3. If you want to get rid of bad thoughts, control your emotions. Our actions and thoughts and words have emotional components. So we have to understand that. Thoughts don't exist in in an emotionless void. If we think our work is difficult and hard, we're going to be frustrated and discouraged. If we look forward to doing our work, then we can be fulfilled in it. Even this week, as uh, we've had a little bit of the North Idaho snow days, I guess by midweek I was pretty frustrated. I had a lot more um, of my study to do, and, and yet we had hours of snow removal. I just sat there, and Marcia came in, and she said, "Uh, What's the matter with you? I said, I'm just 
done. I don't want to do any more snow. She goes, well, who's going to do it? I said, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I just recognized how defeated I was in my mind. And here I was studying about the mind, about guarding my heart. So I just really, I took that time and prayed. I went out and I had such an enjoyable time. I can't, I know it sounds crazy, but I was enjoying snow blowing. I was looking at all the snow, I don't know. Anyway, I wasn't defeated by it. My attitude totally changed as soon as I started giving thanks to the Lord. Now, there are some who may uh, be successful. And because of that, they experience happiness, but perhaps not joy. It is a different thing between our emotions and our heart. And that is, if we're able to, in our heart, appropriate the goodness, the grace, and the glory of God, we can live with joy and hope. We may face circumstances in this life, we do, that are painful, sorrowful. But our joy isn't based on our circumstances. Our emotions reflect what we worship. God gave us emotions to help us live in communion with him. Also, they're a barometer as to whether or not we're in joyful communion with God. So if we have a sorrowful heart, it may be due to circumstances, but we can still have inward joy. This whole aspect of this text sums it up with controlling our thoughts. The virtue of self-control is the most important area in controlling our thoughts. If we understand the heart, we know that it's uh, deceitful and wicked above all else. You know, the world says, if somebody's struggling with something, or perhaps it's a relationship, they say, just go with your heart. Just follow your heart. That's the antithesis of what God's Word says. We don't follow our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. In fact, in Proverbs, it says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So we can't trust our hearts, our minds. You can never trust your heart too little or the Lord too much. We face perpetual, perpetual threats to the purity of our hearts. Vain thoughts, pleasures that, sin, uh, that allure us. Don't trifle with those, by the way. <clears throat> Who can say I've cleansed my heart and I'm pure from sin? Proverbs 20. We can't change the heart. Only God can do that. And it comes about by the transforming of our mind. As a regenerate person, we have a new heart. It's not a heart of stone any longer. We have a heart of flesh. God has given us a new heart. We're new creations. So the desire of guarding our heart. If we keep our hearts only in a temporary way, we're not guarding them. But sometimes there are things that Bring our focus back on God. Affliction. The psalmist said this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. When we go through affliction, our hearts and minds go toward the Lord. 
We seek the Lord. We petition the Lord. We ask the Lord to minister to our hearts and our bodies. So, affliction is good. Because it sometimes is needed to bring our hearts and minds where they should be. At the same time, God can use affliction to reprove us or correct us. The test of true obedience is a matter of what we think of in our private times. What we think of when we're alone. What we think of when things are going well. And we have opportunity to rest from the pressures of life. That's a barometer of where we are spiritually. What do we indulge in? Do we indulge and think of the Lord and His Word? Or do we battle with those thoughts? That's where we truly find what our spiritual condition is. What's the solution? Well, we must give ourselves to worship and honoring God and by thinking whatsoever is good, true, honest, pure, lovely, and good report. What's acceptable to God? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. I will not despise, the Lord says. It is the offering of our hearts that is acceptable to God. To have our heart, He must have our whole heart. The command that God gave us in Matthew 22:37, Thou shalt love the Lord with all our heart, with all thy mind, with all my soul, and all my strength. And we shall love the neighbors as ourselves. God desires our whole heart. Don't just give Him a piece of it. Don't just come here on Sunday or when you go to a Bible study or if you're listening to Christian music. He wants your heart, all of it. He's a jealous God. He desires our heart. He desires to fulfill us with His joy. He wants us to be fruitful. Don't ever trivialize sin, the sin that uh, you might consider in your privacy. Don't think you can entertain sin in your mind without damage to your soul. It assaults your soul. It poisons your mind. And when you engage in evil thoughts, you're pouring poison directly in to the well that supplies life. If you entertain imaginations, you'll give place to sin. The thought is the parent of the deed. If you foster a desire for sin, you're going to succumb to it. So guard your hearts. Micah said this, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil in their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. The good news is this. To come to God in repentance, we can be forgiven and cleansed. God imparts His Holy Spirit to us. We we don't live this life perfectly. But when we sin, don't have long accounts with sin. Keep short accounts. Confess your sin. Acknowledge it to God. And He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Christ clothes us. He clothes us in His righteousness. God gives us a new heart and replaces the one of stone. We can now stand before God without fear of condemnation. One of the greatest scriptures in all of the Bible is that there is therefore now no condemnation 
of those that are in Christ Jesus. We have that hope. That should also be a great incentive to be obedient to the Lord God that we serve. Let's go to him. Father, we just thank you this day for all that you've done to provide for us that we might guard our hearts and minds. And I do pray, Lord, that this just would not just be an exercise in academics, but that we would truly take to heart that which you commanded us, to guard our hearts with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. We just praise you and thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.